Welcome back, everyone, to the Finance Focus Industry Insight Podcast. We are joined by Sherwood today. Sherwood is a consultant at Oliver Wyman. How are you doing, Sherwood? I'm doing fine, thank you. It's great to be in the podcast, actually. Well, thank you for joining us. It's the weekend, uh, although, to be fair, the weather's not great, so I hope I'm not taking you away from too many activities. But um, why don't we just begin with uh, your background and what you do, uh, just so uh, the listeners can get a bit of a kind of overview. Sure, absolutely. So um, I did economics at the University of Cambridge. Um, so when I was at Cambridge, mainly involved in finance, um, doing internships uh, like banks like HBC, invest, investment banking, uh, BlackRock, private equity, and after graduation uh, of finance, I joined, ended up joining a um, consulting firm called Accenture, where I was focused on um, wealth and asset management as well as AI. And after that, I Two, three weeks ago, um, I decided to leave Accenture and join Alpha Life in the UK, where I hope to specialize in financial services. Um, in terms of extracurriculars at university, I was the um, founder of the Investment Research Society at my university. I was the president of the Asia Business Society and the Gaming Society. Awesome. Um, so actually, one thing I want to talk about then is why you went from finance-related internships then to taking a job in consulting why why was it that you didn't directly go into uh, finance you know you worked at some big companies like hsbc and blackrock what was it that shifted you towards consulting for me it was um two things i don't know like one of them is first century uh, cliche um the first one would be uh, impact um a lot of times as a financial analyst you're just expected to um to churn out the work the financial models but the, at the end of the day, they didn't have much impact or like um, actual input into how the M&A deals form out. And um, you can't really influence those. And so that was one of the reasons why. And in consulting, you can see a very night and day difference where at Accenture, um, I'm not going to talk about all the linemen who just started working here. Um, but at Accenture, I got to define the whole product roadmap, the whole operational model, the tech stack, for a um, multi-billion dollar startup who just starting out. So that to me is a huge difference in impact of leading those work streams as well. Uh, the second thing would be the, um, again, also related to impact, but the actual type of um, work that you do. Uh, again, in financial like firms like BlackRock, and private equity, as well as bank, a lot of times, sometimes you're just helping in an M&A deal, but just hand it down from a director. Uh, or you're trying to like make numbers get bigger in private equity. So you're just seeing these return rates, getting numbers bigger and bigger and bigger. By the end of the day, I felt like that wasn't like type of impact I wanted to make at this stage of career. So um, in consulting, you obviously get to go into a firm, uh, change their entire outlook and how they do business, and go to the next firm and change their entire outlook and how they do business. So um, for me, it was really that draw that really uh, influenced me to go. I think, actually, you've said some really interesting stuff there, which is based around the idea of, you know, is your work meaningful to you in that sense? And and so what I'm getting here is finance, um, you tried it, and the nature of the work was not only not meaningful enough, but perhaps not presenting you with the challenge that you wanted and the involvement that you wanted. Um, and, yeah. and you found that now in consulting so if you were to then go into slightly more specifics about perhaps 
what it is you do so we, we can get an idea for you know maybe a, a case study of something you've done or, or a little bit of work you've done in the past sure absolutely um i, I think that's absolutely spot on with the impact thing as well on the meaning what you consider meaningful um i think that's my main reason but like uh just re regarding case studies i can maybe give you two very different case studies because i work on both the financial strategy side and also the ai side so um for one ai project i was working on um i was working on uh, automating the whole like uh, MPF process for a couple of big insurance firms. And because we did, like we ran this pilot program of one insurance firm, we discovered it was so successful that we actually replicated across loads of firms in Hong Kong. And that made us one of the biggest, um, the biggest like EPO service providers in Hong Kong. And what actually that involves is firstly defining the value proposition. Why are we doing this? Um, I mean, why are we doing like this automation thing? Is this feasible? And afterwards, like for me in AI, it was defining an operation model. Um, like a lot of the issue that we have in AI nowadays is that people just hand you a piece of code and it's not really executed. It's just a really pretty piece of code, a really pretty value proposition, but in reality, it's not executed well. And um, in reality, AI can only get you up to 80% accuracy, um, if you know a lot about AI. Um, but for me, it was defining like how can we improve upon AI with a business uh, model? How can we um, actually implement on the ground? So I got to actually visit the offices and like help them implement and gather requirements for them. Since AI takes hardware as well, like uh, printers for example, scanner, um, and really trying to help them, like um, help the C suite, like actually move to a more automated process, and that helped them cut like their cost by fifty percent. And talk when you're talking about a hundred million dollar like operational like vision, that's fifty million dollars off the back. But and you replicate that amongst a lot of like different insurance firms, and that's like a really big thing. Um, the other thing, which on strategy side, which I think a lot of people will be easiest to relate to because AI is kind of a topic which needs to have some background and understand. But the um, strategy side was. Again, dividing by proposition or understanding the situation client and afterwards of going in and defining an end to end strategy of what they need. So the tech stack, like what do you need to actually provide in your platform to make a compelling value proposition? Uh, the operational model, like um, how are you going to charge people for this? Which partners do you need for this? Um, like who are you going to work with? Because obviously you're a very small firm um, and who do you need to collaborate with, um, et cetera. And finally, like, um, you know, like just defining every end-to-end -end aspect of that startup, that was my, one of my projects and that's very interesting to me. And the whole, the, the interesting thing about that project is that only lasted for three months. So you were, the, went in to find like a multi-billion dollar startup, a full like strategy and full like direction of how they were going to execute things three months. And then you moved in different projects and you did the same thing again and again. So um, that to me was very interesting. Again, your work seems very varied uh, and you clearly have some expertise in perhaps in AI and definitely in finance or economics. So that allows you to perhaps um, get involved in various different types of work. So is that kind of variety something that you enjoy about what you do? Um, it, it has been something that I've in the past, I, I personally love AI, but I'm looking to 
And it's something that I think a lot of consultants, if they join that entry level, they really enjoy. But for me, I'm looking to kind of develop expertise in one area. And I, for me, at least. Okay. And is AI what you're going to be focusing on going forward then? Well, I, I, I think I'm going to be focusing on financial services in general. Mm-hmm. And within financial services, maybe I'll find a niche where we combine FS with AI. And that could be my thing. But uh, right now I'm open. Uh, so currently the project that I'm working on is um, private equity. So um, that could be interesting as well. For sure. And so it seems like from what I've just, uh, from what I'm taking away from what you've just said is the nature of your work is perhaps to find inefficiencies uh, within a company um, and then improve upon them if you can identify them and perhaps apply that to a variety of, of, of different places or, or a sector, for example. Um, well, I, I would I would just stop you there. And I, I because there's this very big cliche mm-hmm. about saying consultants are like doctors for companies like you, you know, you improve on them when they're like sick and stuff. Um, but I, I think that's a very misguided uh, one of one of the biggest like kind of things about consulting people think you only go in when something's wrong with the company and um i think that's just not true um you go in even when they're not nothing's going wrong with them you try and grow them trying to find like next few years the next 10 years for them um, nothing's wrong with the current business model but like how do they navigate it when you go in with hopefully not just a view of the inefficiencies because i think um any often like or anyone who's smart enough can kind of do that but also like to help them do two things which is um use oil industry expertise working across all of these like um financiers firms for example to like see what the other competitors are doing and find like a future state but also to help them manage organizational change a lot of times you'll see a lot of people in these firms like um because they're not stupid again like these are Fortune 500 companies, like they'll have very intelligent people, but it's also about helping these intelligent people have their voice heard. Um, a lot of time acting as an advocate and finally defining a actual operational roadmap for them to execute it. Like if they had this idea that I want to automate something, a lot of them do have this idea already, but um, how do you actually do it? So that was our answer to that question, I suppose. Not just going into um fix things which are broken uh but potentially to identify how they could navigate different scenarios uh should they come about so what would be a a macro scenario perhaps like the advent of esg is that something you guys look at um for example one esg is something that we do look at i i haven't looked at it personally um but one of the macro scenarios which i can talk about is the uh, transition wealth management from a because right now, at least when I was working at Central, I was in Hong Kong. So um, in China, at least seeing a huge rise in the number of millionaires, um, not so much the traditional ultra high net worth segment, which like banks like Goldman Sachs and Hong Kong are really dealing with, because it's a very high touch segment. When someone is like, the wealth is so concentrated that it's multi-billion dollars, um, you can easily send a whole team in and then like help them out with that. But for us, it was noticing that this like huge number of low, like um, look like single digit millionaires are starting up, and um, to tackle that, our solution that we came up with was a more automation model. So not as high touch because if you were to send an individual to each of these, the cost would break the bank. 
So we made like a digital wealth like management platform for them, um, to which will hopefully like help them tackle this issue. So you've looked at something that's happening there in the macro and identified how a business can be geared towards being uh, yeah. optimized for the for those uh, kind of stimuli, for example. Mm-hmm. Do clients come to you with problems or do you have existing clients and then identify problems for them? Or do you go out there and approach um, new clients, for instance? How, what, what is the bulk of your kind of work? I, I guess two different perspectives. So let's not talk about my work because I, when I joined AI in like a center in Hong Kong, we were just starting to build up the business. So a lot of the stuff was us approaching them. But a lot of the times when you have a very solid relationship, uh, they may approach you and they might have their own problems as well. But I think increasingly what we're seeing right now is, um, well, two things. Some clients that don't have a specific problem in mind, which identified internally and they want us to fix. And that, that would be more like operations as well as strategy, like um, helping to find that. But so, like increasingly, at least in the areas of AI, we're seeing bigger investments from clients. Uh, and um, because of that, a lot of them don't have the specific expertise that they need. So we've actually had clients come to us and said, uh, we want to develop a framework for AI in the future. Um, can you give us some solutions? And they didn't have any idea for that. And for us, it was about also developing a pitch, but um, like maybe a suite of solutions. They can pick one of them, like all the five propositions that we have, and then we can like work on that with them. So um, usually there's some sort of direction, um, but sometimes it's a very specific problem. In terms of actually thinking about the nature of your work, I, I often speak to people in finance, right? And if you're if you're running yeah. a fund, the way that you um, that you assess your uh, ability to be do well at your job, for instance, is you can yeah. see a return number, or you're beating an index, sure. or your client has some specifications which you must meet. As someone who's a, a consultant, though, um, how do you, you know, you could have a great idea and you think it's a great idea and you implement it. How do you then, I guess you spoke about perhaps cutting the the cost a company has, and that's one metric by which you measure the success yeah. of what you've implemented. But in general, how do you go about um, measuring your uh, success at what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a good pickup. Um, for- there's obviously some projects which has some quantitative impact, like revenue growth, uh, operational impact, like operational cost cutting, uh, and some projects which are more of a cultural change, um, which you can't really measure that. So um, at a very basic level, the least that you have to do is to have client satisfaction. So um, you can definitely hear that in meetings, like how, how much they're satisfied with you and whether they come back to you. But at a kind of greater level, I suppose it's about being, sometimes it's about being able to just do the right thing. And um, when you have a team of very smart consultants, um, it's usually very easy to identify what the right thing is. And sometimes that might conflict with the customer satisfaction thing, because they might be trying to push an agenda, but at the end of the day, you know what is right. And that might lead to some firms actually backing up the project because they don't think that um, they want to have the name here when you implement it. In a lot of cases, the consultants end up being right sometimes. And the firm actually comes back to you and says, we really appreciate that you told us this. So, you know, um, now we understand, and now we're going to like, try and work with you to like, fix this issue a different way. 
Mm-hmm. I was going to say, actually, I know we we wrongly used a doctor analogy earlier, but often the doctor will prescribe you medication and the medication might not taste very good. Right. And I was going to say, if you're someone who's dealing with a client and uh, who thinks perhaps that their way of doing things is already the best way of doing things and you come in with some kind of suggestion as to how to improve that and they could be perhaps reluctant to, to get on board with your idea. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you want examples? But uh, firstly, like just to talk about doctrinality, I don't think it's completely wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is sort of encompass the growth side as well as the uh, relationship side uh, that we have with firms. I guess the best for analogy would be like engineer mm-hmm. or uh, maybe a life science researcher if I do talking the next big thing. Some of what you're describing to me seems like involved problem solving questions. You know, I did a f- I did physics as a yeah, as a degree exactly. and. Yeah. Um, and one of the the key aspects of trying to be a good physicist is perhaps uh, the problem solving that you do and trying to apply some ideas you have to or models or whatever to the real world. And the real world doesn't entirely obey models or anything. And there's a there's a high yep. element of um, adaptation required and and rethinking. So I was going to ask, in terms of your process, Sherwood, what how do you even begin i think the hardest part of any problem is perhaps to translate it from what it is uh, into perhaps a sentence or a line or your first you know your first line of working whatever it may be what are in terms of what you do what do you think is the most challenging thing is it the beginning is it when you get stuck in the middle is it perhaps trying to present it to people um let me let me answer this in two questions so I, said, I think you said something really interesting um theoretical models sometimes right and um increasingly like in the past you would see a consulting firm come in with a very fancy framework like what analysis or whatever and you would get them like giving these this kind of high level advice like to clients and that would not really work um because they would just go away with it and like what to actually do with this um well like increasingly we're seeing two things um we're seeing um operational like um, consulting so people are actually going into the floor spending a few days with the teams understanding how businesses work interviewing them and then like defining a very like um low level so nitty gritty thing like training manuals how you should do this thing uh, so we're seeing a lot of that, but also the second thing would be, and I think this might be interesting to some of the viewers who are interested in technology, um, but we're seeing a lot of um, data being leveraged nowadays. So in the past, we're been mostly theoretical and in some cases waffling. Um, in the current project I'm in now, um, we started out with 10,000 rolls of Excel, just of raw data and about like 20 columns. So um, there's some raw data and we like, we're in charge of analyzing that and presenting the findings. And um, actually now in this project, um, it's actually data has increased to the point where we're using machine learning and Python to generate insights. So um, very much so data sets that we're dealing with are becoming bigger and we use that to generate insights. At my firm, at Oliver Wyman, we teach people uh, code in the uh, first two weeks of their training. And we teach them how to develop machine learning models uh, to like have a less theoretical overview, but also more data-driven approach that I think we really value here. Um, I guess, sorry, can you just remind me of the second question? Oh, no, so the second question was kind of around, um, also, excellent answer to the first question. But the second question was more 
around the fact that you know when trying to uh understand a problem it's yep. often quite difficult to begin you may understand that something is wrong without being able to identify what it is before you can even begin to solve it but in the work you do is so for me the hardest part is always how do I write down the first line how do I go from this physical problem to the first line of work yeah, yeah. That's, that makes sense. yeah but for you guys is is it similar are there other parts that are equally as if not more challenging than the than the beginning yeah absolutely so um in my opinion there's kind of three parts of the actual process there's um well you can group on three parts uh but the first bit would be defining kind of the problem and how you can solve the like framework which is what you just brought up the second bit would be uh, the actual analysis like given that you find how you can solve it like you actually have to do the analysis now and the final bit would be the presentation bit. And for me, the dip, most difficult bits have um, always been the first and third bit. Um, so you're absolutely right. When you have like a very big high level problem, like, um, oh, like um, how do you value a company, for example, in private equity, like consulting, or when you have a different problem, like such as how do we, you know, cater to Chinese new market? Um, real new wealth management our market. Then uh, sometimes it's useful to draw upon like consulting frameworks. Um, but you usually a team just spends a day together trying to find what the actual issue is, um, how can we solve this, etc. And I found a really interesting, what well, useful framework is um, something that we learned in well, I learned consulting, which is uh, what is the current situation. Um, what is our kind of understanding of the rest of the market in this situation? So, what is the company situation, right? So, if you're dealing with a company like, um, and this is a company, a company, what is their situation? They're like, um, well, our understanding is what's the rest of the industry doing right now, and how have they solved this problems, these problems, as well as like our unique understanding well the market developing, and finally, like, how can we actually help? So trying to like drill down very specifically into that problem, you see sold a lot of things. And um, the next thing is kind of to find like what data to I need to actually do the analysis for this problem. And that step is very important. And I see that a lot of interviews where they kind of fail to like do this. Um, when we ask like um, interviewees, um, what do you actually need to solve this? Uh, but just be very uh, succinct about what you need to solve this problem you'll be finding in interviews. And the final thing which um, is also very important is how do you present this? Um, and yes, you need pretty slides, but also um, how do you manage different stakeholders that you have a firm? So for example, an insurance AI project where we're automating the operations divisions, um, obviously the operations director wasn't very happy about that. <laughs> Um, because we are automating for entire division. So um, how do you manage CEO's expectations versus the operation director's like expectations? And how do you also make sure that your plans are easy to understand? Like the handoff process, are, is it easy to understand? And will they actually execute it upwards? Um, okay, with AI, you have the problem of developing a really cool piece of code that's never used. Um, and really drilling up very nitty gritty, like uh, training manuals that you might produce, um, the like um, very detailed deck, like every step, like 
process very well detailed. So that's what we kind of we see consultants work. And even these like classic strategy houses like McKinsey, they've been more orientated towards um, the operation. Um, if you are struggling with your whatever your problem is, you know, often I find that not even just working in a group, but just speaking my ideas to a fellow colleague or something allows me to identify um, what I was missing. You know, sometimes just having someone who doesn't even say anything back, but just verbalizing what's in my head can really help in terms of consulting what's the nature of your work are you very individual are you quite team-based you know how does it work consulting is super team-based um even to a sense where it's interesting i mentioned verbalization which is one thing that we use and we constantly use like consulting frameworks like rosebud form which is how you give feedback rose is like a great thing about your thing but is what the opportunity and thorn is like what's not working um sometimes we use that but um for example at Centra, at the start of each of our projects we'd actually sit together as a whole team of maybe six people we'd have like a whole deck of post-it notes and a whiteboard and we would just brainstorm ideas and post it on whiteboard and then after we did that we would then group them up in clusters and then we would have like individual ideas of that we send to clients um so and i think that's very at odds with the um finance finance experience that i have because we were talking to with kind of equal not authority but equal input to be someone the director on the team like if you had an idea go to and post it post it up and um that collaborative process is super important consulting i don't think anyone nowadays say they're individual consultant um, i think you'd be not very successful if you were that seems actually quite akin to what what we have in in science and the way that we work uh collaborative everyone will have a part they perhaps work on but the overall nature of your work is very rarely um you know confined to yourself you you often have people that you work with and you collaborate with i would then perhaps ask you know we're making comparisons to finance here one thing you mentioned was obviously having people who are senior in your team and whatever. And there's a progression in finance, I guess you can go from an analyst to then a fund manager to perhaps a head of a, of a particular group. And then there's that kind of progression. I don't know much about consulting. So I'd be curious um, as to, you know, how you, you've recently made a, a transition from one company to another. How, how does progression work within the world of consulting? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. We're getting very collaborative, firstly, just to touch on that. We're getting very collaborative. And I guess sometimes it's those about balancing it, like uh, you can't have too many meetings today. Um, I've had a scenario where I had 10 hours of meetings, um, just back to back, and you just had no time for analysis. But it's about finding the right balance. And I think health firms, all of them are very good at doing that. But um, in terms of kind of progression, so there's obviously a title, right? <laughs> Um, every different conference going to have a different title. So um, consultant, senior consultant, um, associate, principal, managing director. That's what we do here. But I guess in terms of the responsibilities and in terms of the um, actual promotion year cycles, what we actually want to do. And those are those labels, right? What do you name it? Labels. Um, so in terms of promotion cycle, consulting is um, very flexible. Um, for example, at all the while, I mean, we promote people at anywhere from one year at the consultant level 
to uh, the years. And the one-year metric actually is uh, not that hard to reach. Um, if you look at a lot of the consultants on LinkedIn, like all the women, they reach them in 1.5 years average to get to the next level. So it's very meritocracy based. Um, and you can see people, loads of people reaching partner like um, in nine years, all the women at least. Um, so very much meritocracy based. Um, in terms of responsibility, you sometimes get, I, I like to say that your responsibility doesn't really evolve in consulting, but it really does. It's kind of a juxtaposition of two, but for example, as an analyst at Accenture, I was managing all of these work streams. And that was because a lot of times when you're in charge of doing analysis, one section of the project, you become a expert in that. Um, it's also to do with the kind of nature of consulting. You go to one company, analyze that, select company, et cetera. But for example, I became the expert on operational models and like tech stack in my like um, project. So I became the kind of like works manager for that. I actually had the opportunity to manage um, people across Korea China, a team of 20 people across Korea China within Accenture and on different projects as I was the expert in AI strategy. So um, I like to say you get a lot of responsibility at like analyst level. But I suppose just as a more general benchmark at the um, consultant, well, I used to work consultant now. At consultant level, there's expected to um, be able to add input into projects and be able to make the decks and run the analysis, like all the machine learning, all the um, data analytics, all the frameworks by yourself. Um, at the senior consultant level, you're supposed to be able to do that high quality, but also manage some consultants under you associate level, the same principal level as when you see yourself um, managing multiple projects. So previously, like at the consultant associate level, you typically stuck with one project and I'm mostly managing one. But at the uh, principal level is when you like um, my four to five projects, you go in, they present the work to you, you add some input to it, and uh, you go to the next project within the same day. And then you do that. And finally, at the partner level is when you and the principal levels, lesser extent, when you talk about developing the sales stuff, like uh, touching more of like how you sell the project, which clients are your pipeline, um, and the relationship management stuff, talking to your clients. Although, honestly, analysts talk to clients a lot, but whilst helping. Awesome. So that's quite a loaded answer. I was kind of a loaded answer. No, no, it's, but, yeah. it's perfect. It's kind of what I was looking for because I, I imagine a lot of the listeners uh, aren't aware of this kind of stuff. And then at the other end of it, you mentioned briefly the uh, interview or application process for a consulting firm i can't say i've ever done one all of my experience has been in finance um what i mean you did both if you were to perhaps make any comparisons and differences between the two processes what would they be okay sure absolutely so i guess in the finance process um a lot of times you're asked two things um you're asked about the technical models like the DCF models, that's like the basic stuff. Like DCF models, like um, what's net profit, what's growth profit, and how to actually, you know, like have like those, and that's the technical side. And um, the second side that you get asked is the fit side. Like, um, tell me about like, so occasionally we have teamwork or um, whatever. So in consulting, we also have the fit side, um, but a lot of that is oriented towards, towards personal impact. Um, so what did you do that made like XYZ successful? And what did you do that um, 
change the society for a better. So we typically use a star method for that, but that's very, very similar to finance still. But on the other side, the technical side didn't actually put much emphasis in that. Instead, we replaced that with case study framework. So we present to you a couple of scenarios or like some um, problems um, that we have. Uh, well, not that we have, well, that we've invented. And um, you, together with a uh, partner, will work through that like for 45 minutes. Like um, you'll be asked to present your analysis on this, like what's your take. Um, size the market if it's a market sizing question and just basically walk them through a logic. Um, so you can see a very clear contrast in consulting, it's um, less kind of previous knowledge based. So you wouldn't have to memorize anything walking in, but it's also more so the thought based process of actually being able to evaluate something on the spot, like on the fly, and talk through, reach to a partner with that. And it's not just analysis. Was all the presentation like you talk well or we're able to present it in a good way um like a structured manner so it's very different um in my opinion yeah actually what you've just said there i i did an internship at um schroeder's and yeah. um, actually my interview was basically then from what you've described a consulting interview um we had the competency-based side of it and then the other side of it was like we had this pack about some kind of company that wanted to build in two different locations and we had to yeah. talk through so actually i haven't it turns out then i haven't actually done a finance uh kind of interview type thing mm -hmm. i was also at blackrock for a little while and the interviews there were were kind of yeah a bit different they weren't super technical because i was quite young but definitely always competency based you mentioned the star method if you guys don't know what that is I think it's situation, task, action, and something. What's the last one? Response or something, perhaps something like that. Result. result there you go. Result. Sherwood yeah. knows better than I do, clearly. Um, yeah, if you look that up, it is very helpful for kind of uh, competency-based interviews, which every basically everyone uses now. Um, so, okay, so it seems like you need to be able to demonstrate problem-solving skills and strong, critical, and perhaps logical reasoning to your interviewer. Um, but I guess also a soft skill that might be quite important, Sherwood, correct me if I'm wrong, is the ability to kind of communicate well uh, in the sense that it's all, you know, even in science, it's all useful having a, a brilliant idea, but there's no point being the smartest person in the room if you can't tell anyone what your idea is in a way that they can perhaps digest and um, understand it. Yeah. And it's often actually a reflection of your understanding if you can explain to someone who is perhaps at a different level of expertise than you are. Um, is that something you agree, disagree with? So um, I, I guess just to address the kind of banking point first, I, I tend to see that more and more by-side firms mm -hmm. in asset management, private equity, well, not private equity, but in asset management and some hedge funds, they're more oriented for brain teaser questions because they kind of realize that asking the like, do you know how to recite the formula for DCF questions? Maybe isn't that useful, but I guess it's still predominant investment banks, like at least two years ago when I was doing m and um, They want people hardworking. They want people to like know what the industry is about. So they still ask those questions to check if you've done the research and if you're hardworking enough to actually type all. Um, but just to um, talk on the point about presentation, I, I, I think that's absolutely correct. So um, whether it's like actually in the workplace or during interviews, you'll be asked to do a lot of presentations. 
and um, people get bored. Uh, something that I've learned is people get bored and people are biased. They're very biased towards first impressions. So if you're even like on the deck, like deck side, if your presentation deck doesn't look good, they'll immediately start asking questions about the legitimacy of your deck and your like advice. Even if your advice is amazing, which was some of the mistakes that I did at BlackRock, I built these amazing models, but they weren't well presented. So um, people just like doubt the legitimacy. Um, but I found that after you format them, it makes it look really nice. People believe them because it looks nice and might not have changed like in the background, but uh, I think it's super important in the workplace. I can't stress that enough. Uh, it needs to be very easy to understand by the viewer just because um, they're not going to waste much time. I don't feel that in interviews at least, as well as like some of the projects that we've been on, it's very easy, very um, useful to drill down on the two to four key points that you want to present. Give a very high level overview of that. And um, then if the viewer is interested in one thing, then they can drill down onto that. Um, so it's very easy just looking high level so that people can get bored. Um, the big punchlines like you should invest in AI, you should, um, you know, like this can do X, Y, Z. I weren't drilling down how you go actually do the AI first. Interesting. You, I mean, I'm not going to go as far as to say style over substance, but I'm sure what you're trying to say is actually style and substance. And it's really important to package your ideas in a way that people are susceptible to them. I find it hilarious what you just said there in that, you know, you have a brilliant idea, but because it, it doesn't look brilliant, people will then actually become more um, aggressive in their questions and picking at it which I guess actually is is not too hard to believe if you've watched enough kind of con man films. You know, if you look like George Clooney, I think it's easier to rob a bank. Yeah, um, uh, Not saying that you rob banks at all, Sherwood. Don't yeah. misquote me there. Um, yeah. I, I think you've given some brilliant, brilliant advice to our listeners today. I've, you know, we've I've taken up, you know, near enough 40 minutes of your time now. Is there anything else that you think is is really important to understand about consulting, about what you do, or just general life advice, you know, Sherwood, we're, we're open to all kinds of input uh, before we finish up. I, well, I guess the one piece of advice that I'd like to give out is figure out what you want to do in life. Um, this sounds like a very broad piece of advice, but um, I'm trying to align that with your job. So if your goal is to make impact and then later, you know, like build up companies and consulting in the right place for you. If your goal in banking is to have a very rigorous training process, get very efficient at these models and eventually transition into a job like private equity for some reason, I don't know why, maybe private equity, um, then you should go to investment bank. But don't be, don't be kind of confused by the kind of prestige trap that a lot of these firms have. Um, a lot of your friends will be um, doing something and you might think they're slightly higher paid than you. But um, at the end of the day, you always have to ask yourself, what kind of person am I and how is my job going to help me achieve my goal in 10 years uh, down the line? I had a lot of friends who found this problem. They see people working. Like if you work in, well, if you're studying physics, then um, they're looking at people who work in hedge funds. Um, they see the big paychecks, and they tell themselves, "I want to work at hedge fund." And um, the moment that they go in, they're absolutely miserable because in reality, what they wanted to do was like um, help, you know, actually 
friend was really like noble. He wanted to um, help poverty um, in his like a country. And um, how does working with a hedge fund with all of this prestige and all of the selling points of working at big salary paychecks, how does that translate to um, actually working on a charity project in their country? I think consulting would be a better fit for him. But for some people, the goal is to really touch on very complex mathematical models, maybe hedge funds a better fit for them. So um, yes, absolutely. So figure out what you want to do um, and how that like helps you in 10 years and drill towards that. Don't be afraid to be a trailblazer and don't be influenced by the big paychecks because if you're aiming for any one of these industries like consulting, investment banking, asset management, asset management hedge funds, you'll be very well compensated. Right? There might be a, a future for you after you retire from consulting and motivational speech, perhaps. Um, <laughs> I'm, feeling, I'm feeling very invigorated by what you've just said, but it's, I think often you are right. People can, and it is partly why I do this podcast, people can have misconceptions about uh, what the job is. And actually, one thing that fascinates me is just how far people can go to justify what they do in order to uh, receive that paycheck that you're talking about right you and yeah. it's not justifying it to others it's justifying it to yourself you can try and convince yourself that you like excel because you're getting paid yeah. a lot of money to mess about in mm -hmm. excel and get some numbers out but actually at a certain point you won't be able to convince yourself anymore and that's often where the conflict arises for people you know you burn out or whatever it happens to be yeah, uh, just to build upon that, I guess it's also a social aspect. When you see a lot of your friends, particularly in some universities like Cambridge or banking or consulting, it's very easy to think that I should be a consultant or a banker because of this. And the second thing is, um, even if you want a big paycheck, uh, the thing that I always say to people is what's happening in 10 years down the line. If you go into banking and you get a big paycheck in these three years, uh, or two years or whatever you want, wherever you want to stay. Um, but then you burn out and you switch a different career. That completely resets your whole like um, salary expectation a lot of the time. Sometimes it doesn't, most of the time it does. I, I, my personal opinion, a lot of times it's about playing a long game. So um, it's about reaching higher ranks like partner or director. And if you enjoy your job, you'll be able to reach those ranks much easily and compared to the um not peanut salary because um it's a very luxurious position to say that the amount that you're earning in banking of the peanuts. But um at an analyst level it's going to be very insignificant the money that you learn earn. Um I plan on maybe I don't know, but yeah, over back to you. Yeah, no. Um Look, I we I could talk about this all day. It's one of my life's missions is to perhaps find something that's meaningful to me. But I do think if you can, you know, uh, find the overlap between what you're good at and what you enjoy, then the money will follow. Um, I think it could. It's almost arrogant to assume that you can do something you really don't enjoy for significant periods of your life and then have an enjoyable life. You may, you may be successful. I think the chances are, are far less than if you are to do something you do enjoy, however. And also, uh, there is indeed more to life than just money. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, but even if you wanted money, you would, I, it's a marathon, right? Yeah. Like, at the, yeah, at the end of your career, you'll be earning about 10 times more, um, at least 10 times more than you did at the analyst level, I mean, and like, 
10 years. Yeah. So um, just make sure I can stay there you know, and make sure that's aligned with your goals. For sure. Sherwood, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, it's not often that I get to speak to consultants, but perhaps I should more uh, do so more considering of how much I've enjoyed this conversation. Uh, so thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you. No, um, thank you so much for having me on.